Welcome to Walking After Foo, the album by album discussion podcast of all things Foo Fighters. I am one of your hosts, Andrew Williamson, alongside Peter Kanigsberg. Hello again. Hello again. How how are you doing, Pete? I'm doing very well. We are recording this the Sunday after Christmas. Merry Christmas to you, Andrew. Merry Christmas to you, Pete. We are on episode six of 10 as we lead up to the release of Medicine at Midnight, February 5th, 2021. Yes, we are almost there. We are over the halfway mark mm-hmm. of this Walking After Foo excursion into the world of the Foo Fighters music. Uh, if you have been joining us this entire time, you've heard us talk about 1995's Foo Fighters, The Color and the Shape, There's Nothing Left to Lose, One by One, In Your Honor. And today, as Andrew mentioned, the September 25th, 2007 release, Echoes, Silence, Patience, and grace. Very excited about this one. Would this is the first one that you said that you listened to, like when when it was coming out? Like yes, the full album, right? Yes. Well, I I actually I I thought back about exactly when I got into this album, and it actually happened a year later. And I'll explain the timeline. You have to keep in mind this is the early two thousands, the advent of digitally streaming music and digitally purchasing music is just starting to come into mainstream acceptance. And it was so for me. Around this time, I'm a teenager. I'm about two years away from going to college and I've received my first iPod touch around this time. And so I'm exploring, you know, the whole Apple ecosystem as it's just beginning to form. And one of the big things that becomes a part of iTunes deliverables is genius. Do you remember genius? Uh, kind of. So that, Gen- that is that the thing where, like, if you had music, it would recommend music for you. Exactly. It's the early Spotify recommendation tool, machine algorithm, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it. But yeah. that was the way I got into the Foo Fighters. I was listening to the Beatles. I was listening to. I'm going way back here, but the Fray. I was listening to Counting Crows. I was listening to a lot of maybe soft alternative rock, and then the mix pretend- that. The pretender yeah. slipped in. The pretender slipped in almost by accident. And I thought, what on earth is this? What on earth is this? So I went yeah. to look it up. It's the Foo Fighters. This is when I start putting name to band that I've you know, subtly been listening to on radio for years before that. And I notice on the Foo Fighters page, what iTunes d- did, for those who may be unaware, their top songs list was coordinated based on the number of downloads of that song the number one song was the number downloaded song on itunes not necessarily in line with billboard charting and ranking and so in 2008 the number one song according to itunes for the foo fighters was the pretender and so i thought okay let me listen to the pretender again okay let me listen to the album now and so that is how i got into the foo fighters at the very beginning of my musical journey with them listening to this album which for me having listened to it again so many years later just reminds me how fantastic this album is and how it sets up so nicely for the future of their of their history as a band i remember i remember when this album came out because at this point i was listening to them right I got all of their music other than There's Nothing Left to Lose uh, in 2006. I had been listening to all of it. They put out Skin and Bones that same year. Yep. So I had been listening to all of this music is coming in within 
you know, months of me get diving into this band and loving this band. And this album came out, I guess, a year later, right? This came out in September of 07. That's right. So I must have been starting junior year of high school. And I remember this coming out because Brett, who's a previous guest, you haven't li- if you haven't listened to the Color and the Shape album uh, episode, uh, check that out. Uh, good friend, Brett Morris, PhD, was on that one. And we were, we were just starting to play in a band together. And he was, he had, was discussed on that episode how he had gotten into the, into the music. He had gotten into like, you know, Everlong and February Stars and In Your Honor and stuff like that. And then we were play, started playing together. And then this album came out. I remember, I remember seeing the video. I remember the announcement, new Foo Fighters video on like Fuse or something like that. And I remember hearing the song for The Pretender and being like, oh my God, this is amazing. Like they're, they're, they're taking it up another level and I love it. And then the album came out and I probably bought it like, I don't know, that week, maybe. I didn't have a car, so I, I bought it when I could. And I listened to this record. This was definitely my Foo Fighters record for high school. This was the main one. And I wore it to a point where I disliked it. Really? For how long? I probably, I think when I got to college, I think at that point I had worn down that, this, this sound, the softer rock sound of Foo Fighters and wanted, I think I'd want, I think I, Dave had already left to do them crooked vultures like they the band had taken a break he was doing them crooked vultures and i was like oh no this is like they went too soft and it's not you know it's not right anymore i liked i liked the 95 record i had been moved on to nirvana and the 1995 record so i was like no this isn't right this isn't good foo fighters anymore this they went they went soft and and then like i haven't listened to it really since wasting light came out interesting I also used to, there are songs on this from high school that I remember playing a lot. The number of times I, as a band with Brett, played The Pretender so many times to the point where I stopped wanting to hear it. There are songs on here that like I loved that like Brett learned how to play. Um, but, you know, like it's one of those things you wear it out too much, you get kind of tired of it. Coming back to it, I love it. I love it so much. It's so great. It's not, it's different. Right, it's, it's a different direction as yes. they keep making these turns in like, how can we do the next big thing? But it's so good. It's a departure from the traditional Foo Fighters sound. It is not all pretender sound in there. There's a lot of country influence. There's a lot of soft rock influence. There is even one song that has no lyrics whatsoever. And we'll talk an about instrumental. that. We have an instrumental which has a lot of significance behind it. And I want to really, really dive into that one because it's very special. But it is a, also another uh, collaboration with producer Gil Norton. He was the producer of The Color and the Shape 10 years later. Very interesting that they brought him back for a record that a lot of people would not even connect the two in that, in that same sonic space. Mm-hmm. It was also nominated for five Grammys. It won Best Rock Album, won a Brit Award for Best International Album, and took three months to record in Studio 606. 
a lot of work was put into this album, this being uh, 10 years, as you mentioned, after The Color and the Shape. Let's dive right in. Let's start with track number one, the one we've already talked about a little bit, The Pretender. This is one that people love. It's played at live shows today. It's, it's Foo Fighters' def- definition of their sound. Yeah, they, don't, they always play it now. It's one of their best songs. It's, I remember hearing it the first time on the radio and on like at Fuse. I remember the video came out and I, I listened to it. The, the intro guitar part, I had been listening to Led Zeppelin a little bit at this point. And this happens every once in a while where a band makes some sort of like a sort of soft, but like definitely electric rock guitar riff. And I'm like, oh, they just tried to make Stairway to Heaven. And I was in love with it. I was like, they're, they're, make, they're remaking. This is like the Foo Fighters version of Stairway to Heaven. And I was like, I, I was in love. I, I like the parallel you drew there. The thing about the music video that always struck me, that sea of red. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, that crashes behind them. I mean, that to me, I mean, I, in my teenage, you know, years having, you know, just kind of gotten into Foo Fighters, that immediately stuck out to me. Here's, a, here's Dave Grohl. Also, keep in mind, this is Dave Grohl as we know he looks today he is the long hair yes. the full beard this, I have is, been, dave, this is dave girl fully formed yeah, at this point, i do want to i do want to make a point i want to take a sidetrack from the thing we, yeah. we have not talked about this i did want to at some point every record every era he has a different look he does and he's had this is where it starts to like really stick in there's the the nirvana you know, there's the Nirvana long hair, no beard. with the long hair, no beard, you know, baby face. That's what he looks like in 1995. Yep. In 96, he cuts his hair short. He gets a goatee, which looks horrifying. Let me just say it. Oh, it's true. That could be one of our questions for the 21 questions of like, why'd you do that? Valid question. Yeah. Um, he cuts it down. I think he cuts the, the facial hair off for there's nothing left to lose. Yep. One by one, he starts growing it back, but it with looks the short somewhat, hair still. With the short hair still, yes. Same. That's the same look for in your honor. And now, at this point, he's got full beard, and the hair is starting to grow back out. And he's going to look like this for the next thirteen years. That's right, all the way up until today, the twenty-fifth year of the Foo Fighters' existence. But we but both yes. agree, Foo- yeah. Pretenders stands high on the mountain as one of the iconic Foo Fighters songs. Yeah. Leads into track two, Let It Die. I love this song. And this is one of the things that I really like about this album is the pacing. We've talked about pacing so many times. Mm-hmm. One of the great things about the color and the shape is the, is the pacing, the what order you're putting the tracks in. And that's something that Gil Norton did a great job of on the first record. And they really needed it for this one because to have the, like the jumps from soft to quiet to loud that you have the acoustic to electric. That's a very delicate balance. You need someone who's done this before to really help, right? Getting that, getting in your honor to one album where you have both things on it. We both talked about it. It's not, it's It's very difficult. It's very hard. Very hard. But you can do it if you're smart. And that's what they did. These songs blend those sounds together, which makes it possible to do that. This song as it stands, is a great song. I love this song. One of the, actually, this is the uh, reintroduction of Pat Smear on the studio work. That's right. He's back in the band. Guitar. But he is also not taking so much of a creative uh, lead he's, in these songs. He's more he is not yet, guitarist yeah. at this yes, point. Yes, he isn't. Yeah, he's studio. Yeah. Uh, the next album, he will 
officially be back in the band. Right, right, exactly. But, but everything you bring up about the shifting of sounds in this record, that was specific direction by Dave Grohl to Gil Norton saying, I love what we did on In Your Honor, but I want one album that can blend the two halves much more uh, creatively and much more you know, seamlessly. Yeah. And so that was achieved here. Another fun fact about this song, we've talked about this a lot, and a lot of Foo Fighters fans talk about this, the connections to Kurt Cobain and Kurt Cobain's life. This is one song where we might actually have some truth about that. According to a 2007 interview, Grohl let slip that this song might actually be about the relationship between Kurt Cobain and Courtney Love. And so there you go, fans. If you were looking for a song to... And this is another one of those, that. he gives you a tiny piece of, eh, this could be part of it. You never know. But it's, it's, the, it's the most we have to go off of. It's also interesting to note, this was part of a, an EP released on iTunes. This is not where I discovered the Foo Fighters. I listened to the studio album. But on this EP is an Arcade Fire cover of Keep the Car Running. Yeah, I, I've listened to it. I do like it. We're, we'll talk about it more. We will on that covers episode exactly so keep your eyes peeled you might be listening now when we get to medicine at midnight you might be like oh well that's it it's like no that's no, not it there's we more have more things to talk about coming soon a little plug i like the way you bring that promo around you're a seasoned podcasting pro you haven't been signed yet <laughs> almost almost <laughs> track three erase slash replace this is a really cool song it it reminds me so few weeks ago in one of the previous episodes you talked about a love of dave doing vocally something different from what's happening musically mm-hmm. the court these lines of these three syllable lines that he's screaming for the for the verse over the heavy guitar drum drum riff and I, I i that's just something i find really exciting to to have some more more things like that, right? Where you have this, he leaves space yep, where there's not room for it, but then he, he does, he comes back like to start and then it becomes very wordy and like, you know. The, it. It's the duality between a race and replace. He lets, he screams a race while replace is sort of echoed in the background of mm-hmm. the chorus. And it's this duality that I think, like you mentioned, Dave constantly brings up in his writing and in his, in the way he builds a song is that there is a contrast if you listen hard enough. And so this is a very literal contrast, a race, replace, or maybe even a one leads into another, but it's a great structure of a song that explains how Dave writes and his mentality about let's build, let's, let's build a skeleton of a song with a great guitar and drum underneath it. But let me through words really define how this song is different than the norm, how this breaks out from what it is I've done previously. And it's that space in between the vocals that he provides. So for me, I think an excellent third song leads into an even better fourth song, in my opinion, just a kind of, in my opinion, a fun song, even though it may not have a fun title, Long Road to Ruin. So for a while, I used to not like this song. Really? Actually, when this was released as a single, I remember being like, oh, this song is the single, not come alive, not... I think I I was more in love with Stranger Things Have Happened. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, or I think But Honestly was another one that I was a big fan yep. of. We'll talk about it in a bit. But yep. I I remember I remember this is one of the things that I, I do like this song. Listening back to it, I was like, oh, this song is perfect. This is exactly what you want here. And it and one of the fun things also is the music video. Classic Foo Fighters tradition is you have one, the first single. 
the music video is them playing the song. Yep. And they're screaming it. They've got all the cuts, right? It's the same thing with like the best of you, um, you know? And the second one's the funny one. And this is that. Yeah, right? Like Monkey Wrench is like that too. Or Monkey Wrench is the serious one. It's got the like fisheye view into the room where they're playing. And then Everlong is the like more silly video. This song is the silly video. Yep. Right? Yep. Davy Grolton, the movie Davey star. Grolton. And he's got the... He's got the mustache and he's driving the car. It's just such a funny, it's a funny video, but watch the video. It's very funny. But I remember not liking this song on the record. There's a handful of songs where I was like, I don't, I felt like it was forced on first listen. Now listening to it, I'm like, man, I would love to hear that song live. But I think I, back then I would have, I don't know. Maybe I was just like either wore it out. Like I liked the, I like, maybe it was like, I wanted the acoustic or I wanted the like, like, I didn't want the pop, I guess. It's what we've talked about a couple of times. It's the, rec- it's the record that pays the bills. It's what was oh, needed this, this... to launch the album. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. This song definitely helps that. But it brings us to track five, which is one of your favorites. You just mentioned, Come Alive. This is... Uh... Talk to us about it. <laughs> just sitting there, just admiring. No, it's just a great... <laughs> the, the lyrics are great. This is a song... This is a record that pays attention the entire thing pays more attention to what the lyrics are. This is one of those few albums where there's usually songs that have great lyrics. Aurora is one of those that we've talked about, but there are a handful of songs that like, you know, that's usually like a handful here or there. This record is one of the few where Dave sat down, I'm going to write lyrics first and we're going to fit them. We're going to find the song that fits with the lyrics. And this is one of those things. I love the, like this record, this, and we'll talk about it in the next song too. And we'll talk about it. All of these songs have meaning. They're like, they're good songs. They're great songs. Like musically, they're great songs lyrically. Yeah. I, I like the, I like how the guitar, you, you like start off in a very soft place and then it goes into a hard rock place. You let, starts off very, very, very soft. And then the drums and the electric guitar comes in afterwards. I think they did it. This is one of those great songs that like, does the blend the divide the like the bridges the gap yep yeah i don't think a 1997 foo fighters or maybe even a 2005 foo fighters were ready to put the song together yet it takes a certain mm-hmm. level of maturity to make this song mm-hmm. i think a lot of these records were also written after he like his first child was born or second child was born so there's right. a little bit more yeah, there's, i mean there's a little bit more fatherhood there's a little more maturity in these lyrics there's a little more seriousness a little more appreciation yeah you know uh, also keep in mind this is several years before this but in 2001 drummer taylor hawkins was in a two-week coma having overdosed on drugs and so there's a lot of experience that these guys have gone through together there's a lot of personal experiences dave grohl has gone through and things that he's done in his life that are major milestones and i think come alive is a microcosm of just the level of growth that he's experienced being in this band and having traversed so much of you know what has changed his life from nirvana on track six which I believe would end side A, given the 12-track 12, 12 listing, is After the Pretender, my second favorite on the album. Metronome-driven, Stranger Things Have Happened. This is such a different song, but such yeah. a great song. This is definitely... This was my favorite song 
on this record. Maybe, but honestly, would have been as would have been tight with that. I, I like I like Pretender. This this is this was the song that kind of like clinched me. And uh, I remember me and Brett both would sit there. I mean, I, he could play guitar, but I would just sit there and just like keep time for him as he he would play it and we'd sing it. Mm-hmm. This song is looking back at the lyrics now is so more relevant than I could have imagined. It's like, you read this, this is a song about isolation and loneliness. And what are we living through right now? Yeah. Yep. I'm not saying that Dave Grohl predicted the quarantine or the coronavirus or any of that stuff. I'm not saying that. Just saying sometimes you write a song that is before it's time. 13 years to be exact. The mark of a great song is one that can go be listened to and felt in any place and any time by any person. Mm-hmm. And Dave does that very well all the time. It just so happens that I'm feeling it a little bit more of this song in this time. Aren't we all? Yeah. Yeah. You know, this is being recorded at a time when COVID-19 is, is uh, a, in a pandemic state and we are all isolating at home. Uh, you know, while we're mentioning that, we hope that you and your loved ones are staying safe and healthy, especially into the new year. Uh, you know, continue to do what you can to keep each other safe. Um, Before we go on to the next, yes. so I do want to talk a little bit about the music. Uh, you yeah, know, yeah. We, I brought it up briefly of uh, the metronome. And I, we've talked before about there aren't a lot of songs by Foo Fighters that don't have you know, don't have drums, Dave Grohl being the drummer, right? Nirvana, you know, it's his music is like the Foo Fighters music is known for having drums. And it's really exciting to hear one that sounds like the way I always imagined it is they, is Dave sat down on the floor in the studio with the microphone and someone like turned on the metronome and it's just, you know, sitting there and it's him and like Chris Shefflett just like, playing the just playing guitar and i just imagine it that way because that's how me and brett would play it and so that's it's just like this like like a huge like you know you imagine these rock bands being this like epic thing right you can't you can't imagine queen just being like a thing you sit on your like basement floor right and playing along to but this gives me that like i can connect in a in a way like it feel it feels like the the same emotion yeah same like environment and I think that's the mark of an amazing song as well, to be able to allow you to imagine in your head what it looked like at the time of recording and how you would then interpret that if you had the ability to then cover that song, transcribe it in your own way. It is a welcome departure from the typical rock, electric rock sound that we know the Foo Fighters for. And in a, in a way represents Echo Silence, Patience and Grace beautifully as the anti-rock, hard rock album. It moves on to side B. I will call this side B. Track number seven, Cheer Up Boys, Your Makeup is Running, which I, I love that title. It's a great I title. I love that title. It's, it's a really a, great title. And it's a great song. song. I don't know if I would agree. You don't like it, me. really? I oh. Even listening to it now, it just it didn't feel... Does it come like, at a bad time? Is that what it is in the track order? It might. I don't know. Think it's. I don't even think it's that. I think it's. I'm, maybe it is that like it's coming right off of the suit, like the acoustic song, and that's the feeling I was. I was feeling more of that 
or maybe it just felt like, oh, well, we have to put together a rock song. We have to make a rock song now. It didn't feel like necessarily as exciting or kind of felt more generic, maybe more blah than I initially, I don't know. Listening back to it, it's a cool song. I do like it, but it's not, I remember hating it. Hmm. Even, even originally when I first listened to the record and when I loved this record, I didn't really like this song. Interesting. I think if this song, I can understand why you wouldn't like it in the context of this track order. If it existed in a vacuum as a single or on a different album, I could see it being really well-liked and successful. I think for the sound it gives, the emotion it gives, it does its job in its place. I think it starts aside, you know, on a certain note that I think is good. But yeah, maybe. It also reminds me of... I can see what you're saying. I can see what you're saying. It reminds me of, uh, what's the, there's a song off In Your Honor that has that, that riff of, um, not last, maybe like, it has like a little bit of last song and a little bit of free me, maybe. I see, I hear that. Those, but they're not, they're not, di- it's like too dialed back. Okay. And part of me is like, if you're going to, if you're going to go for it, go for it. Okay. 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 I, 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 I hear you, but that's, what's great about the show is that we can agree to disagree. You know, and we, we also we, would we are, love to hear your opinions, our listeners. Yes, yes. Uh, send us, send us your comments. Uh, tweet at us. Let us know if I'm wrong. Tell me <laughs> what. Tell no, no. Tell me why I'm wrong. Or yeah, don't don't just say he's wrong. You know that doesn't. That's not constructive. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, if you no, just want to say he's wrong, I mean, no. If you, yeah, I, if you tell me I'm wrong, I'm not going to listen to you. But if you tell me why I'm wrong. I might listen and I might say, you know what? You're still wrong. You, YouTube user123 uh, might have a point here. And then we'll debate it on the show. We'll, de- we'll debate it on a, on a bonus episode. The bet, you know what? I'm going to call it right here. Send us your feedback. Maybe we'll discuss it. Maybe there'll you. be a bonus episode. Who knows? That's right. That's right. Let's move on to track eight, Summer's End. What do you think about Summer's End? It's a very different song. Yeah, this is another one that I thought was neat. It's different for them. It, it, it gives me a little bit of stitches from the Ooh. third record. Oh, good choice. That's the closest thing that they have to this. Yeah. I, I think in small doses, it's okay. It goes, it can be bad uh, with too much of it, which is the direction that happens uh, when we get to the greatest hits uh, with wheels, which you haven't gotten to yet. So when we, you know, we'll talk about it and, right. you know, you, you'll, you'll hear what I'm saying, but this song is like a precursor to wheels in not in a great way. It's okay. This mm-hmm. is another one where I loved Stranger Things Have Happened. I loved Come Alive. I loved mm-hmm. Let It Die. I did not love this song. I still don't, I don't hate this song, but I don't, I don't I, this isn't like, I'm not clamoring for Foo Fighters to play this song live. Well, neither am I. But <laughs> it doesn't for me that doesn't make it a bad song because one thing that I keep trying to remind myself when I'm listening to this album is that even though this is a better combination of acoustic and electric rock, there is still a juxtaposition of those two sounds. Um, it's pretty well uh, represented in the album art, which I wanted to talk about. I think now is a good time to do it. Yeah. It, for those who are following along with us, we encourage you to be listening while we're talking so that you can really understand how we are uh, explaining each song as, as, uh, as you're listening to it. The album art features what looks like an atom bomb. 
And it sort of is. It's an atom bomb mm. next to a vacuum tube. Uh, it was a cover art made by Invisible Creature. It is basically two objects, company. their design company, two objects that traditionally don't work together, one associated with war violence, one not. Uh, but if it explains this tone that exists through the entire album and in summer's end, very specifically about life and the impact of lives on each other. And I think summer's end does that to an extent. And so I appreciate the song for explaining the meaning of the album in and of itself. Uh, but like you, I'm not going to go back to it and listen to it very yeah. much. It's not, it doesn't define the album for me. It doesn't also take away from the album for me. It simply helps drive home the point of it. Uh, mm-hmm. Because every single Foo Fighters album is more than just a song like The Pretender. There is depth as we are, yeah. as I am learning a lot. Yes, it's, you have, you know, again, this you, isn't about long yeah. road. It's not about the Pretenders and the long roads to ruin. Right. Uh, it's it's about the statues. It's about the summer's end. It's about exactly. which is why we're not just talking about the singles. We talk about every song and the B sides because the entire thing makes up where the band was and what they were feeling and all all of it. It makes up yeah. all of it. The yes. band is not just the greatest hits. For that, you could just go to their greatest hits. That's right. But we're more than just greatest hits here. We are walking after Foo. Foo have walked. We, walk we are an album-by-album album discussion podcast. We are not just here choosing what's the best Foo Fighters song. We are seeing all the Foo Fighters songs and then leveling them all out together. That's right. We go from Summer's End to track nine, which, in my opinion, is one of the most symbolic, misunderstood, beautiful songs the Foo Fighters have ever put on an album. The Ballad of Beaconsfield Miners. Andrew, would you like to explain the story of this? Absolutely. When this, uh, when they were on tour for In Your Honor, there was a mine collapse in, I guess, Beaconsfield, which I thought is, I, might be in Australia. Beaconsfield, which I will confirm right now, is located in Australia, in Beaconsfield, Tasmania specifically. The gold mine gotcha. collapsed April 25th, 2006. When the mine collapsed, there were people inside. They, they, were, you know, what, they were able to, before they were able to get them, what do, you, what do you want? Is there anything we can get you? One of the things they asked for was an iPod with the In Your Honor album on it. Amazing. They, Dave was so touched that this is one of the, couple songs i think this is one of the only songs that he wrote by himself on this album and uh, so he he like he was so touched that i think the next time they you know he like invited them out to their next show and while they was that he was there like he played he wrote something and like played it which is this song which is this acoustic little riff thing which is really cool uh which features khaki king who if you don't know is an incredible guitarist who super shreds here. Uh, she did come to Binghamton while we were there. I, I didn't get to see her. Uh, but. And the reason why Khaki King is featured on the studio version and not Dave Grohl or Chris Shefflett or any other guitarist uh, in the room, Grohl simply just said, I showed it to her. She played it 10 times better than I could ever. And so simply put, she was, she was was her recording was chosen to be on the record. But So, so Dave is not on it. Dave specifically, no, but he composed it. He said, this is what it will sound like. But he said, Khaki King, here you go. Here's what I'm working on. She said, I think I can do that. Put it together. And he said, the way you did it is the way I want it to be immortalized on Echo Silence, Patience, and Grace. And so that's how it was done. 
It is a beautiful tribute to a tragedy. And for those who do not know the full story, the Beaconsfield mine collapsed. As we said, it happened April 25th, 2006. There were 17 people in the mine at the time of the collapse. 14 got out immediately. One passed away. Two were left found alive six days after the collapse had occurred. Or actually, I'm sorry, they, uh, they were found alive, discovered that they were alive, were rescued officially May 9th, 2006, two weeks after being trapped miles below the surface. And the fact that in your honor, from a minor yeah, in Australia- the latest, was, the, they, they wanted the latest Foo Fighters album. Was the choice. I mean, you know, I like food. I'd like water. I'd like- I'd like You, you need know, food. Clothing. You, you I need, need food. food. Drop the D. I need food. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. And so great on Dave Grohl being uh, someone who, you know, heard that story, loved that story, and made it a part of this album uh, and one a story that we can tell today. Uh, to me, is one of the biggest symbolic direct references to a current event, I think, that we ever see in their music. And I believe yeah. it is the only instrumental we ever get in Foo Fighters music to date. Let's move on to track number 10. Statues, which I think you said is a standout for you on this record. I love this song, and it reminds me of something Paul McCartney would write. That is my good reference. Lyrically, musically, it feels like something from I don't know. I wouldn't say Wings necessarily, but maybe like a like an eighties, like a mid eighties or like late two thousand, or maybe like an early two thousands. Paul McCartney, maybe something from like Shadow, from like Chaos and Creation. It's probably the biggest compliment you can give any songwriter is to draw a line between that and Paul McCartney, Sir Paul himself. I don't know. Do you hear it? I do. I do. I'm not disagreeing. I do. And I'll be honest, my first listen through of this album, closer to when it came out officially, I disregarded statues. I disregarded most of the second half of this record after Ballad of Beaconsfield Miners because that just was the sound I was drawn to at the time. Mm-hmm. It's you know that's that's just me at at that time just not really appreciating the full breadth of what was here, but after hearing the story about the Beaconfield Miners, my my mind is already you know sharply tuned on that song because of what it meant, and so I'm already focused on this album, and I get to track ten statues, and I'm just so blown away and, and amazed once again at the depth, and it's what I kept going back to when I think about this album is that there is such a high level of maturity here. This is not a, you know, let's just bang out, you know, 16th notes on a, on a guitar just to get some, you know, yeah. get some, another, another, you know, best of you. Yeah, yeah. As great as best of you is, I don't necessarily need to hear more best of views. I want to hear some growth and, and maturity yeah. and, and change. And statues is a great example of it. Yeah. This is, this is definitely a standout to me. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And so is the next song, but honestly, this one was definitely one of my favorites. When this album first came out, still is. I love its transition. I love the lyrics. Um, I would sit in my room and listen to this song on a repeat. Mm. This song is so great. The the, the that that like double acoustic guitar, and then the like as it leads into that like the heavy part, and you get to that like electric guitar riff. Right. It, it, that this is another one that like. Similar to Come Alive, but maybe in a more intense way, does that that shift of, you know, we can do acoustic, but it can be very rock and roll. One of my favorite lines in the song comes towards the end of it. I don't want one thing that I gave to you. That yeah. juxtaposition again. 
if you had to venture a guess, where is he, wh- where is he going with that, that line? What does that mean? I don't want I'm one thing sh- that I gave to you. I, I mean, don't know. It's I, I really am not sure. What's interesting is also because that connects to the like, don't take what I don't need from the chorus. Right. Yep. Something that's kind of cool about this song. So at this point on backing vocals live, um, you know, uh, Chris Sheffield had been doing it. Mm-hmm. In the studio, Dave Grohl did all the vocals. He would do his own backing vocals. This is the first album where other people are. Taylor sang on Cold Day in the Sun, and you know they sang on like covers, which we haven't talked about yet. Not yet. But this is the first time that you're hearing, like you could very distinctly hear the difference when you hear Taylor Hawkins singing on the chorus. Yep. As when Dave says, don't take what I don't need. And Taylor Hawkins says, give me back my peace of mind. And he does it on the, he does sing on the pretender. He sings on a few other songs on the album, but this is the first time that I'm noticing the very distinct sounds of their voice. And you hear, this is not right. Right. This is the example of, we're not here talking about Dave Grohl. He is the undisputed leader and creative force behind Foo Fighters. But this is a band about, more than Dave, it's a band about Chris Shefflett and yep. Taylor Hawkins and Nate Mandel and Pat Smear when he joins uh, and, and Rami, Rami Jaffe when he joins. So this is not about just them. And this is one of those songs where you can hear it's about everyone. It's really cool. Which leads perfectly, in my opinion, to the last song on the regular studio edition of the album, Home. I, which I find interesting because this is definitely a song that is very Dave. Yeah. I yeah. mean, like, it's him well, and piano. It, there, there's a Virgin, Virginia reference in there, I mean. You know. Oh, yes. So, yeah, yeah obviously. Um, what I kind of loved about this song, where I'm going to talk quickly ahead into the f- next album that comes after this, he might be thinking about what he's going to do for that next album, even though it's four years later, uh, for those who are not aware of how Wasting Light, 2000 record was, 2011 record was created, it was created at home in a garage. Mm-hmm. So maybe there was a small part of him that was thinking, yeah, we're recording in Studio 606, but we've also been on the road a lot. We've been touring a lot. This album just came out two years prior to a double LP. Home is just on his mind. That's simply what I took. He just wants that. to be, yeah, he just wants to be at home. His family is always, he has on, a he's new always child. on the road. He has a he has new a, child. He's, yeah. you know, he's got a wife at home. He wants to yeah. be with them. Yeah. And it has like, it. it's very strings. This, this is probably the closest he will ever get to that like Dave Grohl solo project. Yes. In my outside opinion. Outside of, outside of play. I remember, yeah. I, I remember when they were touring for this record and they said it was before the greatest hits came out and they said if there was one song that would like if because they was they would always hint that like you know when they were going to take a break like oh we haven't taken a break we're probably going to take some time away and you know the interviewer was like if this there's one song that you would want to be your like swan song like this is the last thing and then they break up like what would you want it to be and I remember Dave being like, I think it should be home. It should be the last song on this record. This song perfectly captures it. Mm-hmm. This is the like, this is what we are. This is like, this, that's a great closing last hit, hit on, the, on the piano, step up, walk away, turns to black, you know? And, and going off of that, I watched an interview recently with Dave Grohl where he talked about his father 
and his father, you know, having a different perspective on his music career saying, you know, be appreciative of every single paycheck you get because in the music world, it could be your last. And so Dave has essentially, since he was given that advice, written every single record, assuming it's his last. So he writes every piece being full and writes every piece with a neat ending and a way for you to appreciate the beginning, middle and end of it. And now that we can look back on the full regular studio version, we'll talk about other songs in a minute, but Echo Silence, Patience and Grace in total, how do you feel about this record? I love it. I love it. I love it more. I appreciate it more now. I loved it then. And like I said, I, I grew to like be kind of frustrated by it, but now having some perspective and some time, this is a great record and I'm really happy that they made this, especially going into the next record because yes. it, it adds depth in a way that was necessary because otherwise there's a very, there's a potential to see them as a single note, right? Wasting Light is definitely a, like a, a harder record. We, it, it is a harder record just as a, yes, you know, no spoilers, but it is, you know, it came out, it came out like 10 years ago. So yeah, it's a harder record. It's a, if you, but if you take a lot of people have the problem of, if you take their, you know, if you take the Wasting Light and you take, the first half of In Your Honor and you take the color and the shape and you take the first record, there's an idea of who they are. They, you know, people often go with that as what they are. And it's nice to see this. It's nice to see, you know, it's nice to see the third record. It's nice to see this record. It's nice to see Skin and Bones. It's nice to see the range that they can hit. Yep. Yeah, we're finally getting to a point where the Foo Fighters have accepted their position as a leader in rock music, not just a follower of the people that came before them. They are now an authority. They're now explaining to others how this genre was, is, mm -hmm. and can be. Um, at one point in their careers, they were called the Elder Statesmen of Rock. That was maybe a few years ahead of where this album is, but a few years behind where we are talking about them in the present day of 2020. I think what you said about appreciating this album today more so than you did years ago is the perfect explanation for how people should feel about this record if they listen to it over that gap of 13 years. Mm -hmm. Because that's what this is. This is a coming-of-age record. This is a, a, an individual or individuals who are growing up settling down, making lives for themselves. When their paycheck comes in, it doesn't just go to their bank account. It goes for other, you know, adult quote unquote yeah. things. They're, they are becoming mature just as over the time of 2007 to now, we, you and I personally have in our own ways. And so it's just, that's what is so great about this. Yeah. This is a record that fits better, that feels better at 29 than it did at when this record came out in 60, when I was 16. 29. Yeah. God, you're old. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. Oh, let me take a moment. Just like I'm just aging, aging. All right. Yeah, no, this record does, this record, this record feels closer to home, just like the third record does. It feels closer to home at 29 than it did at 19. Yes. Yes. hundred percent. It's the type of record that I encourage you. If you were a young adult, in 2007, if you were, you know, going high through school, high school, middle school, 
and you were early in this college phase, even early college just trying to define yourself and your character listen to this again years later don't listen to six months later listen to this years later this is a record what's nice about this to cap it back to gil norton being the producer and the color and the shape yep 10 year difference the 10 year difference helps that having if you listen to the color and the shape then that's the perfect record for for that time yep if that was if that was your record 10 years later listen to listen to echo silence patience and grace because it really it grows and it, it takes a little bit of you know maturity good you know, for good for gil norton to not step in and want to create color and the shape part two you know oh yeah oh yeah so before we dive into the B-sides and additional songs that came in after the record or in deluxe versions, let's do a discography ranking once again. Absolutely. We, we had our first difference in the last episode when we ranked In Your Honor. Yeah. Where does Echo Silence, Patience, and Grace rank in your discography to date? I think I'm going to have to keep it in the same place that I did before. So thinking about this, this record is incredible, but I don't think... There's a, lot of, there's a lot of good standout songs, but there aren't enough. And the blending of, the, of rock and acoustic doesn't work as well as the you know, full-out rock and full-out acoustic. I think that they did a great job. Mm-hmm. They did the best job they could. I can't imagine it going any differently or changing it at all like we did with the other record. So this record goes above one by one, but it goes below in your honor. And so that would put it, if I remember your discography correctly, number one, The Color and the Shape. Mm-hmm. Number two, Foo Fighters 1995. Yeah. Is number three, Echo Silence, or is it There Is Nothing Left to Lose? There Is Nothing Left to Lose. Then Echo Silence, Patience and Grace. Then, no, Then In Your oh, Honor. Oh, then, then In Your Honor. I'm sorry. Then In Your Honor. Then, then Echo number Silence, f- Patience Number five would be Echo Silence. And, and then six one would one. be One by One. Okay. I like that ranking. Mine's a tiny mm-hmm. bit different. My sure. ranking would be number one, uh, the Color and the Shape. Number two, Foo Fighters 1995. Number three, I would actually put Echo Silence, Patience, and Grace number three. Really? I put it number three because I have a personal affinity for it. This is where mm-hmm. my Foo Fighters experience began. There is a lot that I appreciate more having listened to it a second time. There's a lot more that I really have a different sense for and a different understanding for. And I think that growth and that change is part of what makes me appreciate it. The fact that an album can feel so different in such a different span of time is a powerful thing. A lot Mm -hmm. of records usually make me feel more nostalgic for the time that it was in. doesn't make me feel different about the time that it's in now. So that's why I put it number three. Number four for me is In Your Honor. Then There Is Nothing Left to Lose. Finally, One by One. All right. That's my ranking. So we have some differences. You know, if you have a, a different view... If you have a different ranking, let us know. Tell us at, uh, at Music on Sub Pod on Twitter. Let us know. Send us an email. And, you know, we, I think we've decided that at this point in the episode that we will do a bonus episode for the most controversial or most interesting, you know, comments about, you yes. know, discography ranking. And, and don't just, like, tell us, like, oh, this is wrong or, you know, oh, you're dumb like give us some reasons, give us, give me a little rationale to let us like think through your, uh, your process. Yeah. And, we'd love uh, to hear your, and you know, we might, we'll, uh, we'll talk about it. That's right. So please engage with us. Let us know what you're thinking. We'd love to hear back from our audience, see how in line we are with your opinions on this stuff. Uh, let's talk about the B sides. 
Let us talk about the B-sides. As we mentioned before, there is, there's a couple of covers. There's the, the Arcade Fire, Keep the Car Running. There's Holiday in Cambodia with Sir Tankian. We'll, we'll talk about those in the cover episode. There are four other ones. Would you like to start us off? I think we begin with Once and For All. Is that correct? Yes, that would be the demo, Once and For All, which I never listened to before. Interesting. Uh, you can't find, they took it offline. You can't find it anywhere. And I think there's a good reason why. <laughs> if you listen to the song, and it's not because it's bad. It's, I'm not like, you know, it's a demo. Yeah. If you listen to the melody of the verse, it sounds very familiar. And it's because they took, you know, this song didn't make it. They lifted the melody of this and put it in congregation. Ah, okay. I don't know if you hear that. That's, that's where the similarity is. Okay. Interesting. And Congregation, for those who do not know, is a track off of Sonic Highway's, their eighth studio album. The Nashville episode, I love Nashville, from 2014. So if you're familiar with that song, Once and For All may uh, be very familiar to you. Yeah. I uh, I don't think it's bad, but I think that it works better in Congregation. Mm -hmm. I think that it's also okay. Uh, Just simply okay. I think... Um, I, I can never be too critical of any song that comes out by Foo Fighters or any band because this is a talent I don't have personally to write songs, produce them in any way, shape, or form. And that so, apparently has not stopped me from being very harsh <laughs> on my favorite band. But, but that's okay because you've listened to them for much longer than I have. You can play their music and so you understand it on a different level, yeah. different stratosphere than maybe I do. I'm okay with Once and For All. It is a demo there, I think, for the reasons yeah. you mentioned, there is a reason why it remained in demo format. I don't think Dave Grohl wanted to mess with the structure of Echo Silence, Patience, and Grace too much. I don't think this fits within the sound of Echo Silence, Patience, and Grace all that well, all that strongly. So I'm very okay with it being a B-side. Agreed. Very okay. Next song that I'd love to discuss is Sita. Is that, that's Seda. how you pronounce it. Sita or Seda? I, I have no sure. idea. <laughs> I I knew it existed, and I only listened to it recently. For the you know, when, once we realized we were getting to this point, I was like, "Oh, I'll listen to this B side." I like this song. This has a skin and bones feel of like, "Oh, this should have this should have been on there." Why was this song not on the record? I don't know if you, I don't know if you feel the same way. This song definitely this is a cool song, and I don't know what song it would replace. Maybe I mean to me, maybe it's like it replaces something that like I wasn't as fond of, but. If you look on some forums or, or do some research on this album or just B-sides in general for the Foo Fighters, Sita comes up very often as one that people think is just a, a silent uh, success or a, or a really, really interesting tidbit of testing other fans' knowledge. If you like Sita and you know of Sita, you're, you're, you're in the club. It's up there with, with uh, Normal. Exactly. Yeah, normal is that one that I think everybody says that this should have been a mainline song, a single at some point. Why yeah. was it not? Uh, but Sita is very country, in my opinion. Yeah. It's got a little country in it, and I like that because a little I bit think, of, similar to Summer's End has a little bit of country in it. Exactly, and so I think it would have fit. I think if you put out a deluxe edition of this and put Sita on at thirteen, you know, maybe put it up a little more prominently uh, in in the promotion of this album. It fits really nicely. Essentially, you know, becoming just a, a, a new part of the record that kind of evolves yeah. that sound they're working on. So I'm a fan. Yeah. I'm if this fan. song, I would love to hear this song in a movie soundtrack. That's a good place for it. 
right? Like this is a song that has, it has like a, somebody walking down a road or like yep. middle of New York city streets, like just the, like the instrumental. Yep. It, it gives me that sort of like, not necessarily lower East side, but like walking around midtown or something. Yeah, absolutely. I see it that way. So any, uh, any, any screenwriters out there thinking of a film, think about this. Think, think about the song. Think about I'm it. sure you can get rights. <laughs> It's always a challenge, right? To get right. Of course, of course it is. <laughs> we know nothing about that, obviously, but would we know what? What is our next song on the B side? If I ever now, see that. If I ever are two of the songs that are on Spotify that were put out with the Foo Files. I listen to this one. That, that's what they're called. Yeah, uh, oh, I, I love it. Yeah, it, this is one that I feel fine about. It doesn't replace anything on the record it doesn't have like it doesn't feel like it has its own energy Mm -hmm. it doesn't feel unique enough to like kind of stand out on echo silence so i'm happy that it was a b-side and i think that is a general sentiment of all who listen to it who have found it and know of its existence i think if ever is i think if ever like many b-side songs we talk about has to be written just to get to the next song that's going to make the record. Mm-hmm. I believe, given the volume of music that Dave Grohl and the band are putting out to this point, um, there are some songs that just have to carry certain symbols and certain meanings in order for other songs, like Stranger Things that ha- have happened, perhaps, and maybe not that one directly. I'm not saying this, there's a direct link between the two. But for songs like that that we love so much to be made, this yeah. is an exercise as much as it is a B-side. It is, I can see that. It's, it's a way for him to just continue working the mind, continue coming up with ideas. I think he's a guy who is always writing. He's, he's yeah. never stopped mm-hmm. uh, thinking of ways to connect certain emotions in certain situations. So if ever is just a great example of that. Yeah. And one more, one more B-side for us, and that is the song Bangin', uh, Bangin'. which was released as a B-side. I don't remember what song maybe Long Road to Ruin or might have been The Pretender, but it's hard to find. I, I had to I, I did search it out. I did have to search it, it out. On, it's a little hard. I had to search it out on YouTube. It's, I don't know. It, it doesn't have like, it, is another, it has like a cool riff, but I'm not, but not like interesting enough and it doesn't quite fit. It doesn't fit with the rest of it. Similar to Once and For All. This, this is a song that just doesn't feel like it fits. It definitely is a B-side. Yes. Oh, without question. It doesn't belong here. It doesn't belong before. And it definitely doesn't belong after. No, it's it. uh, For those who are trying to figure out where it was, if anywhere, it was on the seven inch single for the pretender. It was the B side of the pretender single. Bangin' was on the opposite side. Um, It came out in many different forms of pretender single, but the pretender single itself was released August 21st, uh, right up until the album's release. Bangin' was on the opposite side of that seven inch. And Andrew sums it up perfectly. It was a B-side through and through. That's where it remains in the history of the Foo Fighters. Appreciate it for the song that it is, but Echo Sounds, Patience and Grace contains 12 tracks I love just a little bit more. Yeah. Simply put. Uh, yeah, that's, my, that's our opinion. Would you change anything? Would you have put, you know, I think we said the only one that we would consider putting on the record would be Sita. Would, yes. You know, but other than that, anything else that would be... Any other, any other last thoughts on Echo Silence, Patience, and Grace? For me, I just am grateful that this, al- this album exists in the discography because, like you said, Foo Fighters should not be regarded as a one-note band, as a one-genre band. They can blend. They can learn and grow along the way. 
we said back when we were talking about there is nothing left to lose, that if you were trying to get someone unaccustomed to Foo Fighters sound or that sound in general, appreciative of the band, have them listen to that record. I believe the same is true of Echo Silence, Patience and Grace. Maybe you start with there is nothing left to lose because it's the closest to the, the general sound that the Foo Fighters give. But if you want them to take a little bit of a deeper dive into what the Foo Fighters can do, that is not mainline rock music. Echo Silence, Patience and Grace is a great second mm-hmm. album for the unaffiliated listeners of Foo Fighters to experience. I would totally agree. So there is our opinion on Echoes, Silence, Patience, and Grace, the 2007 release by the Foo Fighters, the sixth album in the discography of the Foo Fighters. This brings us to the end of the 2000s trilogy. Andrew very smartly pointed out that there is a 90s trilogy of albums, a 2000s trilogy of albums, and now we are in a 2010s trilogy of albums coming up. Our next album being... Wasting Light, a 2011 release that scored the band their first ever Album of the Year nomination by the Grammys, and the reasons why, I believe, are pretty well justified. We will talk about it a lot more in our next episode, but we thank you so much for listening. My name is Peter. And my name is Andrew. Please continue listening to our series, Walking After Foo, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, Google Anywhere podcasts are available, simply search Music Unsubscribed on any podcast network. That is where our content lives. Follow us on social media at Music Unsub Pod on Twitter and Instagram to talk to us about what you love about these records and share your thoughts and opinions. We will share them potentially on a future episode as we continue to Wasting Light, the 2011 record, perhaps with some guests. You'll have to tune in and find out. So thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the rest of your day.